Get ready to quit the build. The QTB crew is rounding up all the gaming news and hot topics of the week with a little extra something. And here are your hosts, Bruno and Nick. What it do, I'm Bruno, and with me as always is my childhood friend and co-host, Nick Knack Paddywhack. How you doing, buddy? Give a dog a bone. How you doing? Yeah, you never fail to disappoint. You're three for three with these Nick intros, man. Oh, we are we are just gonna keep it going. That is gonna be the the theme for season one. How long is the season of a podcast? I don't know. Hundred episodes, fifty thousand. What is what is the appropriate season length for a podcast? Uh, three episodes. This is the season finale. We made it. I'd like to thank everybody. <laughs> it's a Netflix for making it this far with us. It's been a journey. It's just, it's just a netflix it's just a netflix binge special we've just got we've got oh a, we've God. got a three episode deal here people oh my goodness yeah. well you know last episode we had a little bit about me and so i wanted to take a little bit about a little time today and uh you know just to dive into nick what makes nick tick what makes nick tick oh man so many things so let's start with the preschool years um no let's not way back way back oh man it all started that's dangerous but no i'm uh you know i'm just kind of your uh your run-of-the-mill gamer guy you know but i am kind of the resident uh well i mean we do have a guest that we'll we'll be introducing later who's also a dad but uh between you and i bruno i'm you know kind of the the dad gamer right now that is true yep but uh going back a little further i uh of course like we mentioned in the last episode bruno and i both went to the same private school um and i later went to uh to college and i went uh what was uh, majoring in communications, got some background in radio, which is where you're hearing this sultry voice. Mm. And uh, from there, I uh, actually wound up in a, in a career in the uh, casino industry. But boy, that's uh, that's a topic for another day. Wow. Um, I'm sure you got happened. some stories. So, yeah, the um, you know, the big thing is, you know, I, I grew up at, right right with you there, Bruno, in the in the heyday of the, the just the, the glory that was the 90s, you know, the first jump into 3D gaming. Uh, and the Wild West that kind of came with that and getting to yeah. experience so many amazing games. I, I, I as far as my, my gaming credentials, I am a, uh, you know, certified platforming gamer um, to this day, you know, a, a good old fashioned 2D Metroidvania style platformer, but especially a Mega Man game. Oh, yeah. Just I, knew. My, I, was, my, I, I, I yeah. didn't to ask. I was going to say, I'm no. not even going to mention it because we know he's going to mention Mega Man. We of mentioned course. it in the last episode. Mega yeah. Man all day, all day. I mean, it's it's what I do. So yeah, that's that's kind of definitely my my style of gaming is the uh, the two D platformer or even three D. And you know, getting to grow up with those games, Super Mario sixty four, Banjo Kazooie, uh, and so many others is uh, definitely something that I feel privileged to kind of you know to, to say I was there because you know it, kids these days. I, I'm not making this up. Like they're very much into the Nintendo sixty four right now. Totally, it's hot. People yeah. are still talking about like there's this whole thing about. Uh, it's not real, but like Mario 64 beta footage and like the, the creepy pastas that are coming from that. And it's like people it's, are still it's the, doing mods for this game. Oh, yeah. To this day. The, have you ever seen Mario Chaos? I don't think I have. What is what so, is it? Uh, Peanut Butter Gamer has done a lot of uh, videos of him playing it where it's Mario 64, but just the, the coding is terrible. And oh. so like, at, at any point things can just go horrifically wrong and often do like out of nowhere, like Mario can become like two dimensional or just die outright or like everything in the, in the world will just explode. I mean, it's and the whole goal is just like, get a star, like whatever's going on, just get, get a star, star and get your game saved before it all 
just goes downhill. But I wonder uh, if that was intentional or if they just like were really that bad at like programming and coding, and they were just like, you know what, ship it, ship it. It's gold. It's gold. Give They'll it to the know. people. Give it to you the know. people. Well, you couldn't patch it back then. Call it a at challenge. Least, uh, exactly, it's a challenge. No, <laughs> the challenges didn't come until the the the, the era of Tide Pods. Oh, wow. Um, oh <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of me in a nutshell is, uh, you know, I'm just someone who loves that style of gaming. Um, you know, I, I when I had the time for it, I was definitely more of an online, you know, kind of MMO or just a grindy style of game RPG. I love games with progression. Yeah. But nowadays, you know, it's more, now that I am a dad, I've got a, a son who's a, a little over a year old now. Um, I'm, my focus has kind of shifted towards more just like playing my backlog of games, trying yeah. to get caught up on, on the things that I've been wanting to play. Um, like I mentioned in the last episode, really focusing on those single player kind of narrative driven experiences that I can budget out my time better on. For sure. So, yeah, that's, that's the Nick experience. Uh, Bruno, oh. why don't you tell us about, uh, who our guest is today? Well, you know, you're a, you're a platform RPG type of guy and I am a first person shooter type of guy i'm a big halo fan and my buddy that i'm about to bring on here he is a big first person shooter and just a shooter you know gamer in general and he is a big fan of beers we're gonna bring him out brad how you doing brad what's going on bruno what's going on nick how you guys doing tonight doing pretty good good? man doing pretty good i first met brad through a mutual friend and we actually I actually threw a Halo tournament. It was a, um, uh, it was during Halloween. It was called Halo Ween, and we all had a, a nice, nice big Halo tournament. And that was the first time I got to really meet Brad. But we've been playing uh, games online ever since, right? Yeah, I, I think it's been a few years now. We met through a mutual friend. We got to connect at that Halo Ween, and ever since we've just, you know been able to connect in the you know the gaming community is awesome right you meet folks you meet people and you bond over games and you become friends and we've been able to share life journeys and experiences beyond what we do in the gaming world but uh yeah it's 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 our escape it's our opportunity to have fun and and yeah we've we've i think we've we've had some good times so oh for sure for sure i mean brad and i play Fortnite just about every night we're we're those guys um we're the old dudes on Fortnite, you know trying to hang with the these these young kids these builders out mm-hmm. there just building the Taj Mahal as we're playing we're like listen listen we're not I'm not for that here's a little hut this mm-hmm. is a very basic hut and and I'm gonna turtle up and just take it like a man okay so that's our approach but um, we want to introduce a new segment because Brad is our beer connoisseur he's the guy that's always drinking a great brew and uh i i just i just want to learn more about about everything beer and 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 if i have a question i come to brad so brad our first segment is going to be brad's beers what's brad drinking what's brad drinking well, I'm glad you asked, Bruno, and and knowing that I was going to come on and, and get to partake in this par- podcast with both of you, I, I had to find a beer that I knew would be not only fun to educate you guys on, but also really fit into our, our gaming passion. And so today what I'm drinking is a wonderful hop, dry hopped IPA from a great brewery out in uh, Santa Cruz, California, from Humble Sea Brewing, and the beer is called Sonic the Hedgehog. Whoa. So, yeah. Love it. Love it. I Tell mean, me more. 
<laughs> Tell me your perfect name. Perfect <laughs> name, right? <laughs> so a little backstory. Uh, this brewery is out in Santa Cruz, California, on the coast, where the coastal fog marine layer sets in every day. And so this brewery, its theme, its, its kind of line throughout all of their beers is something tied to the fog. And nice. so they're able to bridge pop culture, many, you know, references to this, this identity that they have, and they build that fog branding into each one of their beers. So this one was called Sonic the Hedge Fog. It's a 6.5% ABV IPA. Uh, and really, a- as they describe it, you know, and I see it, it's a design with super light in color, uh, with a little bit slightly fuller body, because it's got some flaked and malt oats, which we can talk about in, in, in a little bit, but it's really designed to have those bold aromas kind of to that cheat code for your tongue, right? It's a way to quick way to get Ayo. intense in flavor, really drive home a nice mouthfeel and finish. Got some tropical notes, melon, cantaloupe. Uh, so, you know, it's really light, refreshing and a really fun beer to have when you're sitting around either playing a game or even uh, with a few friends enjoying enjoying each other's company. Nice. Is there any interesting art on the actual can or do they have any allusion to Sonic on there? Yes. So uh, besides this is and this is another great topic besides the quality of beer that these craft breweries make. The biggest thing going for craft beer breweries right now is those ties to pop culture and their can art. And so uh, I can easily share and I think we can find a way to share our content and share a picture of this can. It's, It's their own take on Sonic embracing you know and 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 oppose and and on on the beer can so it's uh, again a a great node to um you know a great game and 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 a great beer as well i'm sold i'll take 20 i'll take 20 (laughs) well hey you know i all these breweries have been working hard to manage and, and stay afloat during the pandemic and a lot of them have moved to direct shipping so you can order a case yourself and get it shipped directly to your door Humble C, we're waiting for a sponsor, not to plug you too much, but you know. (laughs) If I didn't know any better, I would have thought you were just reading a script right now because you're just like, yeah, man, you know, it's all about the fog and straight from the the, the coastline. And man, this guy, this guy's like a spokesperson. It sounds so good. Like it really does. It's and and it kind of reminds me of what you see like Green Hill Zone in Sonic, you know, where you've got. These, these tropical trees all around mm-hmm. i would expect to taste some yep. some tropical notes within the beer if i you know if i were drinking this so that's that's amazing that they that these breweries are, are taking pop culture references and kind of infusing them into the beers to to create these unique uh, what do you want to call them brands like uh uh releases how often do mm-hmm. they release something like this brad these breweries are doing can releases uh, at least once a week. So, you know, oh, this wow. brewery in particular will, you know, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to their, their their content. So I get weekly updates of triple can releases, double can releases with information on how and when to buy them, what they're about, and, and really giving you that bird's eye view, heads up view of what's coming and, and why you should be wanting to get these and order them and even have them shipped to your house. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. I mean, it's 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 really cool, right? Because I, I something that I've observed as someone who's a, like a casual consumer of of beer, right? Like I'll walk into a, a liquor store and go to the beer section, and I have no idea most of the time what I'm going to go in there to buy. I just know I want to try something different, right? And so I think a lot of these craft breweries 
know that that millennial generation is at that age where they might want to try that kind of thing. Totally. And so, right. And so the whole game is just catching your eye. It's not even necessarily about what's in the cans. It's just what are what are they doing to use that, you know, point two seconds of time that your eyes brush over their labeling, their packaging, and it's making you say, oh, that sounds cool. I want to try that, you know? Branding. Um, exactly. And it's not, you know, right. It, these aren't recognizable brands, and these are brands that might not even, you know, be around in the next five years. So it's oftentimes just a, a total potluck, like when I walk in what I'm going to get. And so if I saw that, I guarantee you I would buy it. Like, no questions asked. I mean, that's just the power of of amazing marketing and design. And I and it's something that only I feel like a craft brewery can do because you're not going to see this from Bud Light. Like Bud Light can't put out your Budweiser, excuse me, can't put out a, a beer with with Sonic the Hedgehog and call it Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog. Like that can't happen. Right. So there's never going to be a really cool design out there i think that's incorporated licensed content and i'm not saying that these breweries are, are licensing the content we're talking about pop art parody art here so right it's it's a whole different playing field but it's something that a big company like budweiser or Coors just couldn't do and so i think having something like that that does appeal to our age group nostalgia right i mean that is that is the seller. That is that is what marketing agencies everywhere are like. This is what sells. It's it's the feeling of nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, with that, you know, in my mind, it, it bridges two two playing fields, right? The nostalgia of whatever that pop culture references with the great feeling, and you know, for beer drinkers, that feeling you get when you crack the can, you pour the beer, you have that first sip, that refreshing, quenching, enjoyable nature of the beer. It's it's improved and accelerated and exponentially the experience grows because you're now getting your thinking and you're enjoying a beer that's been branded. And with that parody art in a way that it also reminds you of that in this case, playing Sonic that, you know, the game, right? So mm -hmm. it really is this amazing way to tie brewery identity, brewery concept, good beer, and a great, a great reference and a great game together that, you really, yeah, it's it's really unique to find. So uh, really loving it. It's a great refreshing taste and flavor, but uh, I knew I had to bring that to you guys today because it, of, of the iconic reference to such a great game and franchise. Yeah, choice. absolutely. Now, I, I just based on what I'm hearing, I'm already sold, but I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in the flavor profile. I get what you're saying, Bruno, about the tropical notes and Green Hill Zone and that kind of thing. But, but you as were a hard, crab, right? No, not the crab. As no. a diehard Sonic fan, I know that Sonic's favorite food is chili dogs. Chili dogs, of course. How are they not making it chili dog flavor? I, that's it's called a lager. It's a mis missed opportunity, obviously. I'm not <laughs> sure if there's any breweries out there doing chili dog notes, like hints, hints of hot yeah. dog flavored water, maybe. But <laughs> I don't know if that's if that's a thing. But hey. Mm. Um, I, I'm giving it away now. There, there goes the million dollar yep. idea. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know what they should do is just brew a bunch of hot dogs and they can use that hot dog soaked water as the base. I think that's maybe that's the secret, Bruno. I think you might be on to something. Right? What's that what's that tingy hot doggy taste I'm tasting? <laughs> yep. Mm. It's like it's like a backyard barbecue. Oh goodness. Well, I tell you, I I'm I'm a beer. I, I'm not a beer, I'm a beer novice. I don't what's what's before novice? Is there anything before before novice like the tutorial plebe yeah, tutorial <laughs> Tutor- <laughs> Tutor- <laughs> beta <laughs> so i i don't know a lot about beer in general but uh i i do i do know a lot about gaming and sonic was one of those games that i think growing up with was just it was everywhere it was you were playing it on, like we were talking about on the previous episode, Nick. We were playing it on Game Gear. We were playing yep. it on uh, Sega Dreamcast and oh, yeah. Sega Genesis, and it had it was it was it was just like Mario. It was just mm-hmm. like Mario. It was everywhere, and some people fell into one of two camps: whether it was you know having a you know a, a, an allegiance to Nintendo. Saying I'm just going to be, you know, a Nintendo guy, or it was like me. I I really enjoyed Sega. I was a Sega kid. I now I'm not saying I didn't have Nintendo, but I definitely appreciated where Sega was was going and where they were coming from and right. what they were trying to do. Part of growing up in the '90s is uh, one of the best parts about it as a gamer is that you got to see Sega in their prime, right? Oh. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's just it, it, you. I we could spend episode and episode and episode talking about about like the history of just Sega because it's so interesting. You know, mm-hmm. they were the counterculture of gaming. Um, that they came in and they said, you know, okay, well, let's let's copy what Nintendo's doing right and have a mascot, right? In the '90s yeah. and and even in the into the 2000s, you know, a lot of these gaming companies that produce games, they had to have a mascot, and For some sure. of them some of them worked out, most of them did not. But Sonic still perseveres to this day, despite them not being, you know, a, a manufacturer of consoles. But, you know, the whole Sega does what Nintendo don't thing and and kind mm-hmm. of being and, and having Sonic represent kind of the the rebellion of gamers and, yeah, and, totally. and tapping into that 90s attitude yep. that that was just so seeped into the decade that, uh, yeah, it's uh I was just playing uh, Sonic Generations a little earlier today. I'll just run oh, through a couple levels just for the pure nostalgia game. factor. Love fantastic it. Yeah. game. It really is yeah. a beautiful game. And if you've never played any of the original Sonic games, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's the perfect go-to because you yep. get that 2D platformer. And then mm-hmm. there's also a 3D um, oh, yeah. version where you're kind of behind Sonic just like um what was it the for sega dreamcast it was just was it sonic adventure right sonic yeah. adventure yeah wow throwback yeah it's crazy to think that it is a throwback now that definitely shows our age but uh, <laughs> um yeah you know what about you brad you got any history with sonic no so i was gonna chime in with both of you guys i i'm mm-hmm. like bruno i was probably a, a wholehearted nintendo dedicated gamer growing up as a kid and I always felt like Sonic was the one game that was tempting me to go to the dark side. It was tempting <laughs> me 
to go get a Sega, right? And and yeah. even my neighbor down the street had a Sega, and, and I'm like, oh, you want to come over and play? He goes, no, I got a Sega. I'm gonna play Sonic, right? You know, so you know, shade. Yeah, it was it was very much like no, it was he was in the Sega camp and I was in the Nintendo camp and I almost caved and I was like, you know what, I want a Sega for Christmas this year, but didn't do it. But Sonic was that i that iconic character that for me as a diehard Nintendo fan, I I wanted to jump to the other side at least to get that experience to know what that game was like. And what an amazing game it really was. I mean, it it having the addition of, of several characters, too, with every iteration of the game was something that wasn't really happening in in uh, in Nintendo games. They really well, I would say with if you think about Mario, so Mario, the original Super Mario Brothers is vastly different from mario 2 and super mario 3 is diff is is different even so than mario 2 so they and and we could talk about mario 2 because it was really a reskinned game exactly um for people that don't know that so they basically adapted a a, a game that they it was like a arabian night type of yeah it was called uh, doki doki panic there you um, go. It was a Japan-only release that it, it came out in America. Um, or rather, the, the Mario 2 did not come out in America, the original, which we now call the Lost Levels, because um, Japan, or rather, Nintendo of America thought the game was too hard, and we're better off for it, because not only is that game too hard, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm serious. Like, it's just, and it's not fun. Have you, have you ever played uh, the, the Japanese Mario 2? I have not. I have not. So one of the first things they do to you in the game, it looks like it looks like Mario one in every way. But the first thing that you the first question mark block that you hit a mushroom pops up and you're like, fantastic. This is a Mario game. I know what to do. You get the mushroom and you die because it's a poison mushroom. That is the tone that they set from level one. So, yeah, I don't want to kind of take you off too too much off course with uh, the uh, the comparison to Sonic. But, yeah, that's not a good game. I, I I didn't know that, and we're gonna have to get into that at a different at a different yeah. time for sure. But I will say, Sonic introduced Tails with different mm-hmm. game mechanics. It was still the same Sonic; they just introduced a, a new game mechanic within the game. And then there was Sonic and Knuckles with an even another new character and yeah. another new game mechanic mm-hmm. within that. So. They really were hitting their stride in the 90s, and mm-hmm. it all went downhill from there. I just uh, don't think yeah. they could. They could. It, it was just poor timing, like we talked about in the previous episode with the Sega Dreamcast. Right. Great console, poor timing. And then mm-hmm. they never really recovered. Sony just took the space, and then here comes Microsoft, and then it's been a... Uh, a Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, one, two, three punch for the last 20 some years until yeah. things like the Wii came out. And, <laughs> you know, I, I know that's going to that's a that's a dated people are like, what? what? <laughs> but that really set the tone for things like the Stadia. I think yeah. the mentality of something like the Wii was was paving the way for the this idea of being able to just buy a controller and 
you have access to a game a library of games so the, yeah i mean the dreamcast it's 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 number one flaw was it just the timing they tried to be like an in-between generations uh, uh release right um where it was not quite next gen but not quite last gen mm. and that plus you know sonic adventure one and two while i remember those games fondly and sometimes we'll still revisit they didn't make the jump to 3d as gracefully as the mario franchise did Mo- in fact most franchises that started in 2d that tried to jump into 3D, I think most of them didn't do well because it was just such uncharted territory. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also one of the reasons why, uh, you know, the console console failed. Like I said, you could you could spend episodes talking about that kind of thing. But did you have a Dreamcast, Brad? I didn't, no. I, I Again, you know, and, and where I was going to chime in is it, it's a testament to the development of Sonic that that iconic character has lasted through the failure of, of you know, the Sega brand, right? And it's still mm-hmm. around today. We've had a movie come out recently about Sonic. I mean, how many other games have had full-fledged movies be funded and, and, and developed on a character, right? So mm-hmm. uh, didn't have any of the systems, but I, I kind of was seeing as we were talking about these parallels of these characters and growths of these two franchises, you know, and that's why I think some of these breweries are kind of reminiscing about this is the owners and, and brewers of these breweries are people like us that grew up through this, I would say, golden period of time of these games, of these characters. And so these references are so, uh, I think, incur so many fond memories for these people as well, that it's why you're seeing these now pop up in in different in different industries and in different communities. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there. I think that we're we're nostalgic for these these games and these times for a reason because they were impactful for gaming they did progress at such a such a rate that we weren't used to back then now we get a new iphone you know every year and that the changes are incremental so it's hard to appreciate the nuances but back then slap a 3d graphic thing on there and you were like whoa this is this is it like i said before we've reached the top the graphics have gotten reach their peak level how could they possibly get better than this polygon mario there's no way <laughs> well we also had and it, one of the things that i think kind of biases our looking back and being like oh these games don't look as good as we thought they did is we weren't looking at these things on 4k you know hd tvs we were looking yeah. at these things on crt like tiny little displays mm-hmm. where the 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 natural way that it was displayed was just you know light tubes blasting it onto a screen which caused basically anti-aliasing for free mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, the, the, the polygons looked super, right. Yeah. The background looked, you know, you, you didn't notice a lot of the faults and like things that were being rendered from a distance because it was too blurry to even tell what was going on back there. And yet we still I still had the precise aim in GoldenEye like you wouldn't believe it just paved the way for my Halo days. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was all over it. Started what? my pro career. <laughs> Started my pro career. Or the days of up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, BA. Like, I mean, those those days, you know, now with the joysticks, just you don't have those moments as much anymore, right? It was simplistic. It, there was some balance of, yeah, maybe it wasn't, we can look back hindsight and say, oh, it was grainy or, you know, the rendering was poor, but there was a simplicity to it at the time that made it feel so, it's why we remember. It's why we yearn yeah. for it. Oh, yeah. 100%. Well, that's a good uh, breaking point right there as we stop for a quick word from our sponsor. 
right, welcome back. And we've got a couple of uh, news articles here for you today uh, that we will hop into. But first of all, Brad, that was an awesome segment. Thanks so much. That was a very uh, informed decision for a beer that's tied to gaming. Well, uh, thank you for letting me come on and share a little bit about it. Uh, Bruno, I heard you say earlier that you're not really a big a beer connoisseur yet. Uh, so if you're not beer, what what's what do you like to drink? What's your beverage of choice? Well, there's a man by the name of Brilliant Man. He really changed the game, and I'm not sure how he doesn't have a statue yet. Of, and he probably does, but he needs one in every city, obviously. But his name is Arnold Palmer, and uh, despite his sports achievements, which are he he has achievements in sports, he's he's mainly known for a little drink called the Arnold Palmer. He he named it after himself, I guess. I mean, why not, right? And it's a little a uh, little bit of lemonade and a little bit of tea in there. And I gotta tell you, ah. Bon appetit. It is just, it is everything that that uh, a growing boy needs in their in their diet. Bruno's beverage. <sighs> Fantastic. Wow. <laughs> there you go, Arnold Palmer. Everybody. So <laughs> Arnold Palmer. That's that's it's, it's always going to be an Arnold Palmer. Just so you're every aware. Time. Every time. Every time. It's all I drink. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's get into the gaming news of the week here. And I think the thing that is most interesting for this week is, first of all, Lucasfilm Games was announced. Wow. Yeah. And not only with Lucasfilm Games being announced, but there was also an Indiana Jones game announced with the whole Lucasfilm Games announcement as well. So let's unpack that. Let's start with Lucasfilm Games. Now, you and I, we've talked about this before, but 90s games to the early 2000s, we had Lucasfilm Lucasfilm Games, right? It was like, oh, yeah, was, we did. It was like LucasArts or Lucas, LucasArts, LucasArts yeah. is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And so they, every, every, every Star Wars game was under that banner. Yeah. And they were, for the most part, all amazing. And yeah. I think that that's what is the, the you know, a lot of people are going to say, what's the big deal? Why, why does it matter? What well, matters because there has been a huge gap between Star Wars games in terms of the quality and having them all on wonder under one banner is really going to allow for a consistency, I think, and a sort of cross game scenario where maybe we get something like squadrons, which is more aerial, you know, based, but the story then some somehow ties into Jedi fallen order or, or, or something of that aspect. So that's what I think is is the big deal here is that we're getting a one banner system that hopefully puts the Star Wars games all in the right direction and makes them all amazing and not all Battlefront 2. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to segue to was was Battlefront 2 in that, you know, that game was kind of a reckoning, not just for the Star Wars franchise, not just for the developer but or or just the concept of loot boxes and and kind of the predatory nature of them in games that you're already paying full price for but it was a reckoning for the gaming industry as a whole 
that there was such an incredible yeah. turn that occurred yeah. when Battlefront 2 not not specifically when it flopped. I can isolate it down to the hour because I was there oh. on Reddit. <laughs> I, I was this. on yep. Reddit. The most downvoted. I don't know if it's still true. I pr- it probably is the most downvoted. I'm sure it did, but it's it. You know the internet. The internet will never forget. I hope it's in a museum somewhere. <laughs> the to provide some context for the for our listeners, the Battlefront Two was notorious for its loot box system in that. You know, you yeah, you could you grind out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and get like basic characters that you know from the franchise to play in, in the game, or of course, like in a typical EA fashion, you could just throw. It was EA that made that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can throw up tons of money and just and get these things out right in these loot boxes. Now, the problem, of course, was that gamers were already talking a lot about loot boxes. A lot of news articles were popping up about um, other countries. Um, other than America, that their governments were coming together to talk about classifying loot boxes as gambling, because essentially it's a slot machine pool. Yeah. So it all culminated in this. This is coming post. from the casino guy, right? Exactly. Mr. I know the casino odds. right here. He knows the odds. Like he... right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, um, you're not fooling him. That's right. That's right. I see everything. I don't, but I, I do. So the the it, it, it all comes to a head where somebody complains. I think it was the Darth Vader character about how hard it was to unlock. Um, and somebody from EA, you know, one of their PR people, this poor soul, gave this canned response about how, you know, they factor in the the time and the satisfaction of earning it. And it was just this 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 corporate, you know, monotone, yeah. tone deaf response. And it was the most downvoted post comment in the history of reddit i was there i got to downvote it um worse than worse than don't you people have phones yeah if that could have been downvoted that might have uh actually been (laughs) yeah but uh anyway so what i'm saying is that you know they they finally kind of corrected course towards the ends of of battlefront 2's uh lifespan but this is a great opportunity for them to kind of push the reset button get on the same page i totally agree with you um yeah, definitely. Brad, what's your take on this? Well, do you think they're going to be getting back into the market of developing their own games? Or do you think they're going to just be licensing the content, right? To my mind, if you look at kind of what's been done, right? LucasArts went away when Disney bought it out. And then it's been discontinued. Now they're bringing it back. I'm wondering, is the business model today more to, you've got the library of content, but the models now, I think Marvel did it right. You pair with these gaming, other gaming developing companies to really deliver the content, not just build it yourself. Yeah, I think I personally think that if they're going to have games in the title, that hopefully they would be developing or have a hand in developing these games. I think they will always pull producers like maybe EA or Dice or somebody like that to help with the production. But I think for the most part, it seems like this might be a banner in which they can explore the overall creative control that they could have in the game itself. So hopefully the stories and connections between each game are more cohesive and less random, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think I can shed a little more light on this because 
one of the uh, articles that we were going to talk about anyway, actually, this is a good segue. This is a segue. Thank you, announcer <laughs> guy. Is that one of the part of this announcement of going back to Lucasfilm Games is that they announced that they are going to be creating this standalone Indiana Jones game um, through Bethesda Game Studios, right? Ah, but yeah. In that, it also says that it's going to be in collaboration with Lucasfilm Games. Yeah. So they're not going to be like a publisher. It sounds like it's going to be not necessarily a direct, you know, uh, production role, but they're definitely going to have a, a major say in the creative direction that the games take. Yeah. So it sounds like exactly what I was saying. Like it's it's going to be a a way for them to have control over the direction that a game is going, the quality of a game that's being put out. Because if you've, if you've seen battlefront battlefront, you know, became a a great game. It didn't start off a great game, but it became one. And some of the things like the dog fights and whatnot were amazing. They made a whole separate game squadrons for that very thing and for what reason you know what i mean like it was i from my uh research on the reviews for squadrons it was a worse quality version of the battlefront game mm-hmm. but you know just reskinned essentially and you know so hopefully this new company will kind of mitigate some of the crap that's going around with like right. do we really need a squadrons game or like yeah. you know how could that have been better implemented yeah for sure um so yeah going on to uh the article we're talking about there with uh, this indiana jones game which that that was you know kind of the big news that came with the lucasfilm reveal so like i said we know that it's going to be made by bethesda um it's also going to be made by machine games these are the guys that made uh some of the wolfenstein games they made new order and the new colossus have either of you played those games i have not um i've well that's not true i've played a little bit of them but i've not played a full run through and i i have them on my list it's on my list it is a first person shooter Mm -hmm. um and it really does um have a good story behind it i think so are we so let's let's ask the question do we think this is going to be a first person shooter then like wolfenstein or do you think it will be more like tomb raider and be a third person kind of adventure game or are we going to bridge the two and have wolfen raider wolfen Wolfen raider stein there you go (laughs) the last colossus i I don't know i i tend to think maybe it's going to lean towards more the classic adventure game i mean if you remember back in the day uh lucasfilm or i guess it was lucasarts released i think it was indiana jones and the fate of atlantis and a lot of people have said that that game was one of the best indiana jones games that was ever released and 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 that was more of a I would say more classic adventure game more than first person shooter. So um, I I could see an opportunity to kind of maybe, uh, you know, it's hard to say. I I think whatever stance they take, you got to go one way or the other. I don't think you can, if you try to find somewhere in the middle, you, you could flop. Yeah, I agree. I don't think uh, games that have taken that, that split between, Oh, we're going to have a third person mode and a first person mode. They had one in mind. 
mm-hmm. the other was kind of an afterthought, so similar to Grand Theft Auto. Even though I love the first person mode that Grand Theft Auto Five has, it was definitely meant to be a third person shooter game. Yeah, you know, and it, we don't want to typecast Machine Games and saying, oh, by by producing two Wolfenstein games, everything that they make is going to be first person. I think when you think Indiana Jones and you think adventure style gaming, you definitely think third person because you want that yep. free freewheeling camera to be able to see what's going on around you. And, you know, I, I so often, while I never played the games, um, I've, I've seen a lot of the gameplay of the Uncharted series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always seen that and thought like, man, that's what Indiana Jones, you know, should be as a game. It just reminds me so much of that of that parallel of like what he, you know, what what Drake is out there doing trying to get this uh, this treasure. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, that 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 that's the kind of game that I'd love to see tied to the Indiana Jones license. Um, and you also and- have to wonder too, like if they're licensing Indiana Jones, it's not likely that they would have him be first person because that would like you wouldn't see him. <laughs> so if you were, you know what I mean? Like you would just do like, it would just be like adventure man, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like the adventure man, game, you know, I mean, the one, all the kids want <laughs> in stores. Now <laughs> that's, that's such a nineties, like approach to like, yeah. <laughs> that's just, that's just what they did in the nineties. They were like, yeah. well, well, what, what should we call it? Well, he's yeah. a man, and he goes on adventures. Just call him Adventure Man. There was an actual character in the '90s, just called Action Man. Yes, just, there was. I think yep. he was made before that, but they they tried to bring him back, and like all the toy commercials were like, "It's Action Man. He's a hero." I'm like, "Okay, can I get a little more backstory before I bug my parents?" <laughs> like, can I get a little more backstory? <laughs> what do I need to know here? <laughs> You're asking this at like five years old, like. I can't... Can I just get a little more, like, can I get a little more nuance to my plot here? Right. (laughs) Nick, did you know that Action Man was actually a licensed copy of G.I. Joe? And that's why it was called Action Man. It was initially launched in the UK. Ah, And that's why why it was called Action Man, because Hasbro licensed the content regionally to make a figurine that was similar to G.I. Joe, but had a different name. Look at that. Look at coming in clutch. What? Amazing. Wow. That that deserves applause right there. If we had an applause button, I'd be pressing it right now. Fun fact. Yeah, you're officially the history guy now, Brad. You know the stuff about things <laughs> and beer. So let's get back on topic with this. Thing. So we know we so we're thinking it's gonna be a a a third person, third person type of adventure game, maybe. And you made you brought up a good point of what will differentiate this from the Uncharted series. You know, if the Uncharted series is the pinnacle of what an Indiana Jones game might be, then what can Indiana Jones, the actual game, bring to the table other than the license that is Indiana Jones? Right. It's uh, it, it's an interesting uh, thing that that the announcement for LucasArts was was paired with this and not not like a Star Wars announcement. Right. I mean, that that's that's yeah. part of Lucasfilm. I get it. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that uh, Bethesda is a part of it because I as as I recall, uh, they were bought by Microsoft, which means that whatever is released here may either be an exclusive or at least maybe like a time thing. Yeah. Yeah. Xbox. So. That's that's pretty that's right there is 
I, I think if you're Microsoft, you you have to kind of cash that in. I think you have to make that stance now. And I I'm not sure if what they're going to do, because if their goal is to eventually put a Xbox Game Pass on every type of device so that you can game wherever, where whether it's a smart TV or on your computer or on your phone, then it would behoove them to save that exclusive and say it's going to be on Game Pass and exclusively on Xbox. Right. I mean, that would be huge. Why? Why else would I, I don't see why you would buy or, you know, purchase an entire company for their their IPs, their their intellectual properties, and then not use that as an exclusive. So yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I can't see a reason for them not to do it. Brad, what do you think? No, I agree. And I, I think they have a bigger plan at play. You think of the Uncharted series, right? It's a series of games that evolved, right? It wasn't just a one-off, mm-hmm. right? So I, I could see this becoming an Indiana Jones series of games. And and one thing to think about, we are getting another Indiana Jones movie in 2022 that's supposed to wrap up the character itself of Indiana Jones. Oh, wow. So you want you got to wonder if there's any correlation in, in the stories that are going to be told in these games, and if it, it could correlate to the character wrapping up, at least in the film industry, in, in 2022. Well, if, you, if, if we're thinking that this might be a series of games, then this could very well be a prequel of sorts or a, an origin story game in which this is the first of his kind where he, you know, is going off on his Mm. first archeological find, whatever it may be. Um, So I I think if, you know, we're going down that path then that's a a prime setup for the story to basically say, Hey, let's kick it off video game wise with a brand new story about, how Indiana Jones started because we never really get that right like with this with the movies we just kind of like come into it and it's like boom here he is you just hit the nail on the head because I don't know if I guess you didn't know this but in the IGN article there was that 30 second teaser that they released yeah yeah um that really doesn't show any gameplay but just kind of like hey here's what's happening and there's a bunch of different items on a table one of them is a ticket to Rome that's dated to, uh, in 1937 and has a map of the Sistine Chapel on the desk. So it almost certainly will be a prequel. Awesome. See? Look yeah. at that. Look at that. I'm telling you. The kid, back to Bruno back on the to case. Bruno on the case. I I you I I take I take all cases. especially I'm I'm specialized in those mesothelioma cases though. So we will get money for you. <laughs> Sleuth for hire. Sleuth for hire. <laughs> Sleuth for hire. <laughs> Yeah, that's an ad that's going to air like during the prices, right? <laughs> um, oh my god! All right, so hey, wow, great, great conversation there. We got we got one more article to to get through. Can you believe this? I, News is happening. I mean, it is happening. What is this final article you have for us here, Nick? We got the, and I was not expecting what we got. The new trailer for Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Whoa! Uh, the expansion gameplay. So. We already knew, you know, Switch has had a, a history of because of the Wii U's kind of general failure um, as a console. A lot of the best games from uh, Nintendo IPs from the Wii U uh, have been getting ports slowly but surely. Mario Kart, uh, Donkey Kong, uh, and a few others. So Super Mario 3D World is finally making the jump. And 
we are also getting this extra content called Bowser's Fury. Now, when I first heard about this, I thought, well, it's just going to be like an extra set of levels or something to try and uh, lure people into buying it who had already paid for it before. Yeah. They've done this before yeah. with like uh, with the Donkey Kong uh, Tropical Freeze. They're like, oh, we got an all new Funky Kong mode. It's funky. You got you to gotta get Classic it. Classic Nintendo. And it really wasn't much. Exactly. But this seems to be something special. So in this trailer, um, have you seen the trailer? I have seen the trailer. It's amazing. Oh, so good. The the Bowser uh, model, like character design that yeah. they use for this. I'm telling you, yeah. that is, this is the first time I've been frightened by Bowser since I was a little kid. And I had to take on him in uh, Super Mario 64. Right. Yeah, those were terrifying times. Having to literally yeet him off the side of a platform into uh, bombs. That was uh, tricky stuff. It really was. I, well, the thing yeah. that was trickiest with that, and I'm not to, trying to get us off topic here, but that endless staircase, what a beautiful bit of coding that was. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. And like, I was so convinced as a kid that if I just kept going a little You're bit more, there. I would make it progress. There. See, it changed. It's getting, it's getting it is. <laughs> Yeah, I can't, I can't back out now. <laughs> so the, by far the thing that is is setting the internet on fire is that part at the very end where uh, Mario is trying to like dodge all these fireballs from like this super, super big Bowser. And he sees this oversized bell power-up, which in 3D, that's a power-up that's exclusive to uh, Mario 3D World. It turns you into Cap Mario. Um, and then when you pick up this, and I, I see it in the distance and I'm like, I'm thinking as he's approaching it, like, oh no, when he hits this, is he going to go like giga sized? And not only does he go giga sized, Mario goes full super saiyan. I saw it with the hair and everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, that was, that was such a cool reveal. I, I got tingles. I got, and Nintendo does this to me every now and then. Um, I get the Nintingles. The Nintingles. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. I got when I saw the uh, Mario theme Switch bundle that was announced with it. They announced, and I haven't seen. I don't have a Switch yet, so right. uh, I've. It's been a very very hard console to get a hold of. Yeah. And this, I'm sure, is going to be no different because for some reason, everyone always picks up switch consoles like they're going out of style i i can't believe everyone doesn't have one yet and i i guess besides myself like you know because they're always being getting sold out so once again i will try on the 12th <laughs> see if i can get a mario themed switch bundle yeah. and try and join in on the the switch party because we're gonna have more special guests coming up soon and and I need to get on the Switch wagon so that I can be a part of the conversation. But your point's valid, Bruno. I think we were talking earlier, mentioned it, it outside of the, the show today, that I think last year's data showed that the, the Switch sold as many units combined at, or equal to or combined of both the PS4, Xbox One, and the new iterations of Xbox One, Series XS and PS5. Right. Wow. So your point's valid, right? That yeah. that finding a switch is not easy to do and and these I bet this Mario theme bundle is going to be the hot the hot topic here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. 
Now, the good news for you, Bruno, is that the Switch Pro is supposed to be, we're supposed to start getting some specs on that. I'd imagine they're probably aiming for a holiday release um, in 2021 to get that out, um, at which point you're going to have the thing that you have anytime that a same generation console offers a higher end version, which is the market gets flooded with, you know, sometimes new and just un- unopened, but also pre-owned yeah. um, Switches. So I think we are going to hit a, a threshold this year where pretty much anybody that wants to have one is going to get one at, at MSRP or, or less. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about what we think the pro version of the Switch is going to be because it's got to be more than than just a, a 4K upgrade, right? Like, other than, like, battery life and a 4K upgrade, what else are we, you know, what else can they add to wow me? I've got and yeah. the Joy-Con fix. Like, do you think do you think that they'll address that or do we will we go through another iteration of that again? I don't think they're gonna acknowledge it, right? Like they're never gonna be like, yeah, we messed up with the Joy-Cons. But I think I think they are probably looking at the the long-term sustainability of of their peripherals. And because the Joy-Con is such a unique device, um, that Nintendo was able to come up with something that interesting. Um, that is so dynamic in the way it can be used. You know, I, the, the Joy-Con is definitely going to see some kind of upgrade. What, exactly what I couldn't tell you, but hopefully the the reliability of it uh, is 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 among those things. Because yeah, it's you know any anybody who's bought a Switch um, day one or close to it um, is going to tell you they've had some some major uh, Joy-Con drift issues. I think that the biggest thing we're going to see out of the Switch Pro is going to be significantly enhanced mobile processing power because their whole thing is that when when the switch is not in the dock um, and and doing the HDMI out, it loses a large portion of its processing power. So what ends up happening is the experience that you have on the mobile version, oftentimes the games will code differently so that like certain things change in the way that the game is displayed so that it's mobile friendly and you don't see a dip in frame rate, whereas if you're on the TV... You know, you'll get a little bit more of an extra, uh, extra oomph with the display. So I think you're right. We'll probably see an upgraded display, but also I'd love to see them, and I think they'll be able to pull it off now. Um, no change in quality for the game. Like mobile mode is docked mode. I think that would be the oh, biggest wow. uh, must-have uh, selling point if they wanted to kind of get people to make the switch that already own the original. That's interesting. I didn't know that there was a significant dip in quality when you went from when you went from the docked mode to the mobile mode i thought that it was all just one fluid experience that you could you know there was no dip in in, uh, integrity there but that's really interesting and i guess yeah that has to be part of the uh, part of the deal otherwise what would be the pro version about it you know it would just be another thing so what about you brad uh switch thoughts do you do you have one have you thought about getting one i don't have one and uh it's been one that it's it's intrigued me right again we talk about even uh you know the the evolution of the uh nintendo uh consoles right and and for me the last nintendo console i had was the 64 and so oh, wow. it's been wow. a mo- it's been a minute since I've had a, a console, but the the point Nick's making about mobile gaming and that experience you can literally pick it up and go uh, and be able to experience the same game in the same moment. You know, 
you know, essentially you're, you, you can, there's no stoppage of where you were on the screen, on your TV to where you would go, wherever you go with the handheld, you know, mobile experience is an intriguing concept. Cause there's times I don't, maybe I don't want to be sitting playing on my big TV. I want to be, I'm on the go or I'm on the road or I'm in bed. Right. You know, I, I, I'd love to experience that, that ability to be a bit mobile, but to Nick's other point, if that, if the pro version is going to offer the, that, equal performance across both the docking experience and then the mobile experience you wonder what what is that going to take you know from a hardware perspective is going to is it going to throw off the balance and feel of the device is it going to be heavy you know i, I know technology's come a long way but you know I, I really think this is a physical spec and and tech you know machinery you know optimization more than anything yeah, and what's the price point of something like that going to be? Do you keep the 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 regular switch at three hundred, and then just say, "Well, we're going to bump this up to four hundred, or do you drop the price a little bit of the switch, and then you know, kind of meet in the middle? So, I mean, that's you know, Nintendo has always done a good job of making an affordable price point for their consumers. I will say that it's never been too. I think the uh, the Switch is the most expensive console to date, right? But it, begs the, it begs the question, right? I feel like the demographics for Nintendo have always been somewhat unique and different compared to what Sony and Microsoft go for. And mm-hmm. now this could be a direct play to mimic Microsoft's attempt at having two price point consoles with different intentions and different demographics. Now, to me, a pro switch kind of is starting to com- maybe compete more with with the Microsofts and Sony's in terms of maybe if we're talking processing and capabilities more so than a traditional switch with the platform and the gaming, the games that are offered fit a different demographic. Yeah, you know, this is this is going to be the Xbox One X to the Xbox One for mm-hmm. for Nintendo, where it's that that late late in the lifespan of a console generation where uh, you are introducing something that has a little more firepower behind it and a couple more selling points. But at the end of the day, and this has always been Nintendo's thing, it's those Nintendo IPs that sell Nintendo consoles. When I bought a Switch, it was because Breath of the Wild. Just straight up, Breath of the Wild is what made me buy a Nintendo Switch. If that that game was not available when it was, uh, it most likely would have been as late as like Super Mario Odyssey when I would have been like, okay, I really want to go and pick this thing up. Yeah, that's when um, I was kind of on board because I had Breath of the Wild for Wii U. It was an okay experience. I heard it was even better on Switch. That's right. Yeah, that was the last uh, the last game that was made for the Wii U. I believe was that yeah because it came out right at that at that transition point. Many many forget that, but uh, yeah, you know. And so going back to the games, you know, that's that's what is happening here with Super Mario 3D World is that we're it's very late late in the lifespan of of the Switch. We're getting another one of those Wii U ports. Super Mario 3D World is a is a must play game. It is so much fun. It is simple. You know, my wife and I we do try to play some couch co op experiences every now and then. But oftentimes, like if it's a competitive game, we can get a little bit, uh, you know, a little little little. It, it, it gets personal sometimes. You know how those games go. <laughs> it's a little competitive. You know how it be. Some names. Um, are, some names are called and things are yeah. said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Someone sleeps on the couch. Yeah. Spoiler. It's me. <laughs> Spoiler. Been there, yeah. been there, Nick. I'm with you. Yeah. Sorry, honey. Next time I'll let you get the star. So, but the, the thing is that even in like co-op experiences, it's very easy for a game to not be accessible to the person that is like, you know, not quite as skilled 
at yeah. gaming, you know, where one person is kind of running the show. So even co-op experiences, you can fall into that pitfall of of it's not fun for a, a certain person once you get to a certain point in the game where the difficulty ramps up. Mario 3D World did a really good job of being an enjoyable experience for us from start to finish that was memorable, great soundtrack, simple approach, um, and one that I'm definitely going to play through a second time when this game comes out. Um, and initially when the Bowser's Fury thing came out, like I said before, I thought it was just going to be the slapdash, hey, here's some extra thing that's going to get people to buy it a second time. But this trailer is showing a whole new style of gameplay because 3D World, for the most part, was almost like a isometric top-down, um, yeah. kind of left to right, go to the end, you know, and it, but this is, yeah, this is more of like a, yeah, this is looking like something out of Super Mario Sunshine with Bowser Jr., like using a paintbrush to like uh, uh, paint things on walls and, and stuff is coming out. Uh, we still don't know details on if there's going to be a co-op component to it or if Bowser Jr. will play as like a second uh, second player as an optional thing um, that would run counter to 3D World's uh, gameplay style, which was up to four players uh, at once kind of working together. So I'm definitely looking for some more information on this. But uh, 3D World's going to be this this re-release is is definitely going to be on my must-buy list, and I think that is going to be a great stopping point for us because it is going to be a good buy for any Switch owner if you can get a Switch, and maybe <laughs> just maybe one of these days I'll be able to grace the podcast with news that says yes, I have gotten a Switch and I have joined the train. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Brad, thank you for being here and thank you for enlightening us with your new segment, Brad's Beers. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys again soon. It has been a pleasure. And I, I just want to say for Nick, I'm Bruno. And for Bruno and Brad, I'm Nick. Peace out. What it do.